teach about perception of harm. So less harm doesn't mean harmless. So I think I've mentioned, you know, there is that perception that vaping is less harmful, but less harmful doesn't mean harmless. So look at ways to either gain knowledge together with students or again, those, you know, how do we critically think about the messages that we are getting from the industry? The pod class is in session. I'm your host, Jamie Anderson, and welcome to our series, Conversations on School Health, a holistic look at maximizing the health and well-being of students and teachers. This series is a collaboration between the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary and EverActive Schools. Each episode, we speak with a different leader in their field about topics that are impacting student and teacher well-being. Today's conversation will address the ongoing concerns of tobacco use amongst youth, especially with the growing trend of vaping. Krista Bell from Alberta Health Services will be joining us shortly to share her expertise with us. Now, our conversation today is taking place on the ancestral and traditional territories of the First Peoples of the Treaty 7 region. We would like to situate our virtual conversation in the physical place and land that we're on, which is known as Mokinstis to the Blackfoot Peoples. We come into our conversation with gratitude to the ancestors, elders, knowledge keepers, land and water protectors, all of those from the past, all of those in the present, and all of those who are in the making today. We also come into this conversation with a recognition that tobacco and tobacco plants have a long and rich history as sacred medicine to the Blackfoot peoples, amongst others, on this land. Tobacco use as medicine and for ceremony can be traced back at least 3,500 years based on our archaeological findings, and oral histories suggest that it can be traced back even further. Tobacco cultivation was an important part of Blackfoot culture, and the specialized knowledge required to maintain these plants was passed on through generations by way of tobacco societies, which were comprised mostly of elders who preserved this important ecological knowledge. Tobacco planting ceremonies were an important part of Blackfoot culture that were eventually banned on reserves as a result of the Indian Act and its enforcement. Within our colonial history, we recognize the role of settler governments in restricting ceremonies and monetizing these sacred medicines, like tobacco, for profit. So today, we see these harmful impacts of a massive tobacco industry. And so we want to situate our conversation in the many layers of our histories and recognize that our conversation differentiates between tobacco as sacred medicine and the tobacco and vaping use that we see uh, amongst our youth today. So before we jump in, another reminder to our listeners that our podcast learning is mobile. So we invite you to get active, get moving, and do a little something for yourself to nurture your own well-being. Without further ado, welcome to PodClass, Krista, and thank you so much for being here. As our listeners are thinking about ways to tend to their wellness, I was wondering if you could start us off by sharing some of your favorite ways to nurture your wellness. Hi, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. Probably like many others, I've really struggled the last little bit around finding my my wellness, social, mental, and physical wellness balance as so many of my routines and 
you know, physical settings have changed. When I used to work in an office, I work at home now, like many of my colleagues, I certainly use my lunch break as a time to take a break from from work and from uh, working on documents and various things. And so when I switched to home, I found to find that routine again, really challenging. But just recently, I've, I've been able to do that again. And I, I've started uh, rowing. I, oh, wow. I found a rowing machine. And so I'm rowing again at lunch. And I just find that that, that really helps not only break up my day, but help me find some of that mental and, and physical well-being balance again. That's awesome. Um, I've, I've only rode a few times, once on the Glenmore Reservoir, and I will say it's an incredible workout and very challenging. Yes. Awesome. Well, let's dive in. So Krista, you've worked in this area of tobacco prevention for years, and I'm wondering if you can share a little bit more about yourself with the audience, you know, including your educational background and your professional journey in this area of work. Sure. So I actually started working uh, in tobacco while I was still in university. Um, I was doing an addictions counseling degree, and I had the opportunity to work with a population health team to gather some support for local bylaw development for smoke-free bars and restaurants. So that was really my first taste at at some of the uh, comprehensive work done in the area of tobacco reduction. And then that led me to uh, a tobacco treatment job or a tobacco reduction job in northern Alberta. I did that for just over a year and then became a program consultant with the tobacco reduction program here at Alberta Health Services. And I've been in this role for almost 13 years. Um, and so my my time in the tobacco reduction program, I've really had the opportunity to work on a variety of really cool projects, ranging from a community granting program where we provided financial support to some local community initiatives in Alberta, hospital policy development and implementation. And then I would say the most exciting was the development of a school-based tobacco prevention program for grades four to six called the Academy for Tobacco Prevention which incorporated prevention best practice with some really innovative components like a cooperative uh, physically played card game. So when I was working with teachers on the development and implementation of this program, I really had lots of continuing nagging questions about how to better support teachers and students when it came to school-based prevention. So I recently completed a master's thesis looking at the decision-making factors for teachers to implement tobacco prevention programming in their classroom, and in particular in that sort of mid to upper elementary age range. And really understanding the enablers and barriers for this work is something uh, I really continue to be interested in. Well, that's fascinating. Congratulations on your master's. That's super important work that you're doing. And, you know, when you speak about your early work developing bylaws around smoke-free bars and restaurants, I think we take for granted that that was not very long ago that we were kind of immersed in a culture of smoking and tobacco use in public spaces. Absolutely. A lot of... uh, societal norm changes over a really short amount of time. Absolutely. Now, we know that tobacco prevention isn't a new field, and it's been tied to our education systems for decades now in you know a variety of forms. Um, we think of the D.A.R.E. program specifically as a common one that I think is still uh, taking place in a lot of our schools across Alberta. So we know that schools have become one of the front lines in this work. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more what you think the role of schools and teachers is in this broader work of tobacco prevention. 
Yeah, so basically since we've been aware of the pervasive and significant negative health effects of smoking, which was around 1960, we've been using a comprehensive approach to reducing and preventing tobacco use. And and like you said, school-based prevention activities have really been a, a component of that. We've also seen an evolution of the types of approaches uh, taken within schools. So guest speakers, one-off presentations, even plays, largely focused around scare tactics. Uh, so, you know, really focusing on those negative um, health effects to really a more comprehensive skill development approach with the addition of technology and um, the incorporation of games. So from a prevention perspective and using a population health approach, there have been many other components that have added to the success of lowering tobacco use rates in young people. Thank you for sharing that. I think we're all really familiar with the risks of smoking. And I think a lot of us were immersed in that culture of, of scare tactics in our schools. You know, the, the notion that smoking kills, which we still see as a script that appears alongside different images. Um, and we know that these are common in schools. They may, you know, have been common decades ago when I was in elementary school, and and they're still used in different locations. So we kind of know the negative effects. I'm wondering, though, if you can just review for us, what are the harms of tobacco use, particularly when we're talking about children and youth? So unfortunately, cigarette smoking continues to be the number one cause of preventable death and disease in the world. And smoking negatively affects almost every part of the body. So, I mean, traditionally we think of lungs, but it really affects lungs, the brain, muscles, bones, can cause cancer in almost any part of the body. But while some of those, you know, more significant health effects often take years to develop, it's really that addiction component when it comes to youth that, that uh, is concerning. So nicotine addiction can occur very quickly, and that's often what leads to the lifelong use of tobacco products and then subsequently causes those, those negative health effects and can shorten, shorten life. Absolutely. And, and we've seen legislation emerge throughout the years around like flavored tobacco products in terms of cigarettes and cigars. But unfortunately, we're now tackling, you know, this new game changer that is vaping. And it's been a game changer, not in a good way when it comes to teens and smoking. What are the emerging concerns now regarding tobacco use, I guess, or nicotine consumption by way of vaping? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's several concerns regarding vaping in particular, obviously the health impact. And part of that is, is we don't yet know the full impact of vaping on youth. And while it's not expected to be as harmful as tobacco smoke, because really anything is less harmful than tobacco smoke, uh, the health effects of vapor are still not known. And and really, it's those long-term effects. And, and what's in the product itself isn't always regulated. So that health impact and not being aware of that is, is a concern. Certainly, uh, the addiction component, like I mentioned, and we see in vaping products often higher levels of nicotine, which is particularly concerning for developing brains of young people and have uh, often a higher risk of that lasting effect of the nicotine use. 
And then there's the concern around tobacco use initiation. So the fact that vaping may be linked or may be leading to cigarette use or the renormalization of smoking behavior. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, the normal um, use in restaurants, bars, all kinds of environments policy has, has made that not normal. And so there's that concern of, of that renormalization potentially. Absolutely. And, and students that I've worked with, you know, junior high students, high school students have indicated that they started with vaping and then they transitioned into cigarette use, which is really interesting because I think vaping has long been marketed as uh, an alternative. But what we're seeing, and like you mentioned, is that it's maybe not an alternative, but maybe just a first step mm -hmm. um, to tobacco consumption. Exactly. We know that this issue is of great concern. And I'm wondering if you can give us a bit of a lay of the land in terms of vaping use amongst youth. Do you have any statistics or research that can shed light on how prevalent this is? Sure. So typically we use the Canadian Student Tobacco, Alcohol and Drug Survey, or CTADS, uh, which we call it, and they collect national data on both tobacco and vaping prevalence for students in, in Canada in grades 7 to 12. So for the 2018-2019 survey, looking at the use of these products in the last 30 days, what they found was 4.7% of students used tobacco products. So they break that out in grades 7 to 9 and then 10 to 12. So if you break that out, grades 7 to 9 was about 1.4% and then seeing a jump for grades 10 to 12 at about 8.3%. So this is good because that was a decline of just over 2% from the previous two-year survey. So we are seeing tobacco use numbers over youth uh, going down slightly. For vaping, the numbers, however, are quite concerning. So nearly 20% of students indicated using um, electronic cigarettes in the last 30 days. And that was about 9.8% of grades 7 to 9 students and 30% for grades 10 to 12, which is an increase of 5.4% from the previous survey. So while we're seeing those tobacco numbers go down, we are seeing a growth, uh, a concerning growth of vaping use uh, among students. I'll also say that for both tobacco and vaping products and for all grade levels, boys continue to use uh, or males continue to use more than, than females. That's interesting. And I wonder, maybe this is a great point to clarify. When we're speaking of tobacco products, are we speaking of like chewing tobacco and, and smokes? Or is there a way that you can just help us differentiate between the tobacco that is smoked uh, and consumed otherwise, and then what the products would be called that folks are using when they're vaping? Yeah, for the purposes of this uh, survey and the numbers that I just provided are smoked cigarettes and then vaping products as uh, students would define them. They often do take different numbers for like a chewing tobacco product. Traditionally, the use of smoking tobacco throughout the country in some of the areas, uh, it's too low to even consider statistically significant. Okay. Um, however, in Alberta, we tend to see uh, much higher numbers of chewing tobacco just based on uh, culture and sports use, uh, cowboy culture in particular. That's really interesting because I think about, I mean, when I was growing up, the big thing was was chewing tobacco amongst the hockey players. But now, do you think vaping is replacing that or do you think it continues to be just kind of a cultural uh, piece here in Alberta? 
That's a good question. Um, I don't know if I know if vaping is replacing it. Certainly there is perception of reduced harm. And so that, that oftentimes if an athlete felt like, you know, I'm an athlete, I'm not going to smoke, that might be a message that resonates yeah. with them and, and maybe less so with vaping. But I don't know uh, if, if sort of that's a, a, a correlation that they've switched. Interesting. And maybe some of the teachers would know that more than me, even what they're seeing in schools. For sure. And I'm sure that's very context specific too. Now, it's interesting because a lot of early tobacco prevention strategies were many of those scare tactics. And, you know, a lot of those scare tactics are visuals, sayings that smoking kills. I think we're all very familiar with those particular messages. And I'm not so familiar with the research, but I'm wondering because these messages are all around us concerning tobacco, do you think that we get desensitized to those messages and images over time? And if so, you know, are there strategies that work better in this area? So I'll first say, I think absolutely, uh, you get somewhat desensitized. If you think of the images that are currently on uh, cigarette packages, we saw a reduction in tobacco use when those were first introduced. And then over time, those messages become less impactful just because, as you said, people just see them all the time, so they resonate less. But absolutely, there are proven strategies and certainly school-based strategies that are proven to make a difference, even though you know we're up against an industry that actively markets their product and creates products that are meant to attract young people. But research in, in tobacco prevention indicates uh, several components in what would be considered a successful teacher-led approach. And those include building social influence and social competence, developing knowledge, and then changing the environment. So when I talk about developing knowledge, this doesn't mean you need to be an expert in tobacco or vaping to make a difference. This means Things like discussing strategies on maybe where to find reputable information online, such as Health Canada or Alberta Health Services. Certainly the amount of pro-vaping or vaping industry information online is, is an extreme issue. And so that would be a strategy. This also could mean discussing industry messaging and manipulation, teaching about deception in marketing and critical thinking. Uh, young people typically don't want to be lied to or disrespected. And then teach about perception of harm. So less harm doesn't mean harmless. So I think I've mentioned, you know, there is that perception that vaping is less harmful, but less harmful doesn't mean harmless. So look at ways to either gain knowledge together with students or again those you know how do we critically think about the messages that we are getting from the industry that's really interesting um just before you get to your next point uh, i think we often think about critical media literacy as something that's separate from health health and well-being and more kind of in the realm of information technology but i think what what you're saying is that like this critical media literacy is so crucial in so many ways, not just, uh, you know, some of our other episodes talk about weight bias and nutrition. And here you're talking about like, we can confront these industry messages by developing those critical media literacy skills. And that starts really young, I think, in elementary school as well. Exactly. 
The next thing I would say would make make it personal. So students have a, an existing relationship with their teacher. So those one-time guests or presenters that are brought in are really shown to not be impactful over the long term. It's also important to tailor your approach to the age and stage of development. So for example, in grades four to six, those students need clear, accurate, current, unbiased information on the risks and harms of the various products. When you move up the grades, it's things like focusing on that social competence, problem solving, decision making, coping skills, uh, and as you mentioned, critical thinking. And then when you get to high school, it's really an opportunity to focus on short-term impacts. So again, those what happens down the road as far as long-term health impacts don't have a lasting impact on students that are living in the here and now. So finding ways to link those future risks potentially on health and life today. That's where we've seen really more impact and longer term positive outcomes. And then finally around that changing the environment. So as we've already touched on, policy changes have really had the greatest impact on social norms for tobacco. Uh, So this is a way to move from managing specific behaviors to an individual change, to focusing on uh, designing environments and Um, having youth involved in systems change. So engaging students meaningfully by involving them in school culture, support youth involvement through youth councils, uh, advocacy activities, or, uh, you know, having opportunities for peer-led programs or mentor programs, and maybe being part of uh, coalitions, things like that. So how, how can youth be meaningfully involved in policies that positively affect their environment? That's really interesting. Uh, And this leads me to my next question, which is about kind of starting these conversations. So we know that the shame and blame game is not really effective in educating young people, yet a lot of teachers often don't have the strategies for engaging in these kind of real conversations with youth about smoking and vaping. Uh, And like you say, for high school students in grades 10 to 12, you know, oftentimes our conversations are framed around those long-term effects. And as you've indicated, that is not effective. Uh, So I'm wondering how might we begin to have these conversations, and maybe I'm thinking more informally as teachers, so rather than just in structured lesson plans and structured classes, how can we begin to have these conversations with youth who are smoking or vaping so that we're not deferring to kind of like a lecturing or reciting the scripts of smoking kills, but uh, we're, we're using our relationships and our relational skills to engage in honest conversations that I I guess, are aimed towards reducing tobacco use. Yeah, I think you've really, um, you've really hit it there with that relational skills. It goes back to that making it personal. Don't worry about being an expert in the topic. You don't have to know it and everything about the products or the policies or the, the laws or anything like that. Engage students meaningfully. Involve the people and the places of the students' lives. And just seek resources. There, there are resources through Alberta Health Services or even in other provinces to support youth in what they are looking to do. Are they wanting to quit or reduce? Then there are some resources available to support that. But I think it is just relying on those those existing relationships to have conversations and be able to be flexible and responsive to to that conversation and and not worry about, you know, needing to share a message. Find out what's going on with that student. 
That's, I think our first instinct when it comes to professional development is to like turn to the knowledge, try and understand, try and have that uh, or build that expertise, become familiar with that, which we don't know. But I think, you know, and this has come up in several conversations throughout this podcast, the importance of relationship is a place where we can always start first. And uh, you invite us to, you know, begin when we have those concerns, begin with relationship and begin with conversation and not necessarily like thinking we have to build expertise or say a specific um, message. Mm -hmm. So we talk about harm reduction in terms of substance use. And I know this harm reduction is something that's fairly common for folks in the health promotion world and, and health services world. Sometimes this kind of harm reduction approach might look like in a school environment, creating a space for smoking like a smoker's pit or a space to use vapes where students maybe are still able to be supervised or able to be seen. I'm wondering how educators might take a harm reduction approach or are there harm reduction approaches that work in this area? Can you advise us as educators and possibly administrators? Is there kind of an approach that would be this harm reduction approach that is effective? Sure. So harm reduction when it comes to tobacco and vaping is a, is a challenging issue. First, when it comes to tobacco, we know that there's really no safe level of exposure. So there's negative effects on the body physically, even with one use. So when we talk about harm reduction for maybe someone that's used tobacco for a long time, we talk about nicotine replacement therapy and, and providing the opportunity for the clean delivery of, of nicotine for someone that's looking to quit or cut down. As Because okay. as we know, it really is the tobacco smoke, um, you know, what you're inhaling into the lungs is what causes the problem. There is an opportunity for safe delivery of, of nicotine through things like the patch. And that's, you know, for, for adults that are looking to quit or cut down. Okay. Uh, vaping may play a role in someone that's looking to quit or cut down their tobacco use. But certainly that should be discussed with a healthcare professional as what works best for someone. Because as we said, it may have less harm overall, but certainly isn't harmless. Um, when we talk about youth, the World Health Organization, Health Canada and Alberta Health Services, they all advise not to use e-cigarettes for youth, pregnant women or non-smoking individuals. So again, leaving that potential for some harm reduction within already smoking individuals. But when it comes, I think, to maybe the school environment and harm reduction, I think of some of the policies that are put in place and you talked about, you know, having maybe places or or things like that. I think it's important not to impose too strict of punitive restrictions or consequences on youth. I think as we've talked about making it personal and building on relationships, uh, that student-teacher relationship, having punitive policies in schools often damage that and don't allow for what would be that relational growth or relationship to develop in that way. So potentially flipping it as an opportunity to, you know, educate, to talk about some of the things we've already talked about around those um, successful approaches and really maybe involving youth in what a school-based policy could and should look like would be a suggestion of mine. 
Absolutely. And I guess, you know, when you're talking about all of these professional organizations advising against e-cigarette use, but then also suggesting that there's no safe use of tobacco consumption. We also have to think about the impacts of secondhand smoke, which we are well aware of, and uh, what the role of maybe those smoking pits plays in secondhand smoke Mm -hmm. on campus. And, And I like your suggestion to bring youth into the conversation about what that can look like for everyone who might be impacted. That's really helpful. Yeah. And and I don't want to oversimplify the issue either. I certainly recognize the challenge that teachers and, and schools have around, around this issue in particular. And managing behavior is still an important component, but there's hopefully just little steps we can take toward a different approach. Absolutely. And student voice and choice, I think, is also a fantastic way to bring youth into the conversations instead of making them feel like the adults in their lives are always talking at them or Mm -hmm. using this information against them. I think, again, going back to that relational piece, there's always that invitation to problem solve with student voice as well. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So with that, I'm, I would love to hear, you know, in your experience, you have extensive experience doing this work in the area of policy, in developing resources and using resources and researching resources. I'm wondering if you can share some examples of schools or communities that are doing tobacco prevention work really well or who are seeing success in this area. Yeah, so one that I think of right off the bat is the city of Lloyd Minister. So Lloyd Minister has had a really active student involvement in tobacco reduction for many years. They've had various coalitions, um, have done media campaigns, and um, actually effectively lobbied their city council to introduce a tobacco retailing fee. And then they use that money uh, so so grocery stores, convenience stores, things like that would pay like a tobacco license fee to the city of Lloyd Minister. And then that money then goes back to community initiatives that are often student led to support uh, health and well-being in the community. So I really have always loved that example. And I think it's a really cool way to show a lot of what we've talked about already today. Absolutely. And I think it speaks to, you know, we we work at Erective Schools and this course is you know focused on comprehensive school health. And we recognize that schools are not isolated from the communities that they're within. And we see the need for this change taking place at the community level and in policies. And uh, such a great example of also how to find ingenious and innovative ways to continue to promote youth involvement. I think that's such a such an interesting approach. Yes, exactly. So that's a fantastic example. We're thinking as pre-service teachers who are listening or in-service teachers who are listening, um, you know, what can I do about this tomorrow? What can I bring to my classroom tomorrow to better implement tobacco and vaping prevention strategies or even start the process of implementing those strategies in my classroom and in the schools that we're going into? Yeah, well, I think first of all, teachers don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's lots of already developed best practice based 
resources that are available. Certainly within Alberta Health Services, there are the two in particular that I've been involved with. So the Academy for Tobacco Prevention, um, as I mentioned first, is, is a complete program for grades four to six. So it consists of four interactive lessons. And then the fifth lesson is that cooperative card game that's intended to have the opportunity for students to build social competence and social influence. So what I mean by cooperative card game is that you win and lose as a team. So you have to work together in order to win the game. And how you win the game is you overcome these bosses in the card game that are actually modeled after tobacco industry tactics oh. that, that are geared to youth. So things like flavors, uh, things like smoking and movies and product placement and things like that. So the students work together and they actually have to help each other or you can't win. Oh, nice. So that's uh, that program. And then in the coming months, actually, Alberta Health Services will be releasing what they're calling a virtual learning experience. And the best way, I think, to describe this is uh, sort of an online escape room. It's going to be called Gemini Rising, and it's built on a lot of the things that I've talked about in that it's not considered substance specific. It's instead focused on problem solving, decision making, that media literacy piece, critical thinking and coping skills. And so all those things that are what we know around best practice in, in all substance prevention it incorporates. Uh, so that's something really exciting that's coming. But as I said, if, 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 those, if those don't fit with you, there are lots of resources available, either just information through Alberta Health Services or through Health Canada as a way to start incorporating, building that knowledge and making it personal with the students. Awesome. And on that note, I'm also thinking about even for us as teachers who might not be comfortable kind of broaching these subjects with our students, is there anything that you could direct us to, to not just learn more about how to go about this work, but even just to learn how to kind of destigmatize these conversations for ourselves so that we can build comfort with those relational skills and maybe having honest conversations about tobacco without having to revert to the scare tactics or other things that we're most familiar with. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's important just to try. Okay. I think if needing to know more about, you know, the products themselves or the laws or things like that, like I said, Alberta Health Services website under tobacco reduction can give you lots of sort of foundational base knowledge if that's what you're needing to kind of feel more comfortable. Um, I know when I've talked to teachers, they've done it with, you know, more than one teacher as a way to sort of have that collaborative approach. So it's not just uh, one yeah, I think just diving in is really, you know, learn by doing. Absolutely. And and I guess it doesn't hurt to start having these conversations with our colleagues as well about, <laughs> about how to support our students and how can we begin. I think that invitation to just dive in and get started is a is a really great place for us. Exactly. So you talked about all these really great Alberta Health Services resources. I'm wondering if you can tell our listeners where they can find these resources or where they can find more about your work uh, at Alberta Health Services. Sure. So on the Alberta Health Services website, near the top, there is a, a section for different populations. There is a drop down menu for parents and teachers. You'll find all kinds of things related to substance use, tobacco, vaping. That's where the programs themselves are located, but also sort of brochures and some of that foundational knowledge that I talked about. And then when it comes to supporting uh, people specifically around maybe tobacco reduction or quitting or cutting down tobacco, Alberta Health Services 
has albertaquits.ca. And that really is an interactive self-help resource uh, with lots of information, but also opportunity to sign up for, say, group classes. It's not specifically for youth, but maybe there's other people in your life that would find it useful. But that's where all sort of the, the treatment and cessation resources are located. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Krista, so much for taking the time to share your expertise with us today. We really appreciate it. And I know I can speak for our listeners and saying that this was such a valuable learning experience for us, uh, especially as we get ready to head into the classrooms as pre-service teachers or in-service teachers. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for another Conversation on School Health, a series collaboration between the Workland School of Education and Ever Active Schools. A special thank you to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music, and a very special thank you to Stephen Hurley from Voice Ed Radio for production assistance and sound editing. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at EverActiveSchools, or you can visit our website, everactive.org, for more great content and resources. Until next time, the pod class is dismissed.